You're listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You'll hear from PropTech founders, investors, and industry veterans on how they're using tech to change the way we buy, sell, and invest in real estate. This isn't just another podcast about making money in real estate. This is about how we live. In each episode, you'll hear about the market opportunities and trends driving the industry forward. TechNest is proudly produced by Finn Ledger in partnership with HW Media. And now your host, Nate Smoyer. All right, we're talking a little bit about housing today. Surprise, surprise on the PropTech podcast. Listen to this. 50% of homeowners found it difficult to build their ADUs in their city, county's development standards. I know this firsthand. I went through the process of trying to understand how, just the process of how to build an ADU. And I detailed, and I actually talk about this on the show, uh, an Airtable project. I had over 40 records of all the things to be done, but those 40 records were actually the start of projects that each one could have anywhere had 10 to 40 additional projects tied to it. Unfortunately, it's a complicated process, but things are changing. Legislations have been updated. Townships are more welcoming and they want ADU projects because it adds density and housing units. And especially, here's a stat for you, the median asking rent in the United States rose above $2,000 per month for the first time in June, 2022. And so one way to combat that is offering more housing via ADUs. I've got the CEO of a company called Cottage, Alex Trenetsky. He's gonna talk all about that. His history on how he's connected ADUs from his childhood, helping his parents, his tech background, enabling for this product and more. We're gonna get into all the details. I think you're gonna find that there's a lot here to learn. Let's jump in. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to to have you on here. As I said, pre-show ADUs, uh, I've seen it been popping up in some some Twitter threads. Actually, I should. are you on Twitter? I am. It's my name. Oh, um, finally. I'm not super active, uh, but uh, from time to time. I, I say finally because I've been on this crusade, and those who've been listening to the show know this, for all prop tech founders to get on Twitter. Their customers are on Twitter. They're complaining. They're celebrating, they're sharing detailed numbers of their projects, so much to gain in value. Um, I think there's a lot of people on Twitter that actually would, would want to know more about what you guys are building. And speaking of that, why don't we go ahead and do that? Let's jump in. Please introduce yourself. Let everyone know who you are and what you do. Sure. My name is Alex Charnetsky. I'm the founder and CEO of Cottage. Uh, Cottage is a SaaS-enabled marketplace for residential construction, starting with accessory dwelling units, uh, more commonly known as ADUs. Boom. There it is. Okay. So before we get into any of the, the prop tech and SaaS and marketplace discussion, let's break down ADUs. What is, and, and I know this seems basic, but just for, maybe we can all be on the same playing field. What is an ADU and Specifically, how is it different than other residential structures? Sure. Yeah, the legal definition, it requires kind of a, a living space, a bathroom, and a kitchen or kitchenette. So this is a independent dwelling unit or home. Um, the form factor can take different, you know, shapes and, and sizes in, in different places. Um, so 
you know, if you are in Chicago, this could be a laneway home. If you're in Toronto, this could be a basement. If you're in Southern California, this is oftentimes a detached garage conversion or a backyard detached home. Um, but they all broadly fit under the umbrella of accessory dwelling unit. Um, I think Got much it. more commonly, historically, you heard uh, names like casitas, granny flats, you know, backyard homes. Uh, there's, you know, a dozen of different uh, ways that people describe In-law them. suite. Exactly. Yeah, because, I mean, you don't want them in the house. You put them, well, I guess in Chicago, and you said in the basement. Is that where, or Toronto, you said, is in the basement. What's a laneway house? That's I've never heard that term. Yeah, so in a number of cities, Chicago is the one that I'm probably most familiar with. Um, they have these kind of lanes behind the major streets where oftentimes the garages are. So there's kind of like an alleyway where there's a detached garage and you're finding a lot of, um, in these types of markets, oh. they're either converting the garage or building an ADU on top of the garage. And so it's accessible from a separate you know, street, uh, but it's part of the same property. There are some super cool examples of this in Old Town off of well, behind, like a block behind Wells Street. And... There's just like a whole area of like really tight together kind of row homes. And they're kind of like they span both to, you know, one end to the other of the block. And I, I, I'm putting together what you're putting together. Um, all right. So let's jump in on cottage. Like walk me through the, you know, in the most basic way. What are the problems that you're set out to solving for? Yep. Yeah. So at the highest level for cottage, our vision from the homeowner's perspective is to be the first trusted brand in home improvement. And from the contractor's perspective, it is to build the operating system for a small to medium-sized general contractor. And so just in practice, you know, today with an ADU project, what this would look like is we appear from the homeowner's perspective to be a one-stop shop. We help them navigate feasibility, so what's possible in the property, architectural design, city permitting, and connecting with a qualified general contractor. Um, you know, and from the contractor's perspective, we are providing them a predictable pipeline of shovel-ready projects and time-saving tools. Mm. Okay. So um, I noticed in there, you, you didn't say like to be the number one provider of ADUs or to be the best designer of ADUs. Why do you frame it so much broader than just that? Yeah. I mean, ADUs are definitely the inspiration for this business and housing is something that we're super passionate about, but we are intentionally building this business and our product in a way that is flexible to take on other types of residential construction projects in the future, both, you know, helping out the homeowner, but also being able to power the whole business of the small to medium sized builder. Gotcha. Alex, what's your background that led you to this? Yeah. You just kind of like were you renting one and you're like, hey, this is kind of cool. I want to build more of this or you'd come from the trade. Yeah, it's funny. I So I don't come from the trade. Uh, no background in real estate, architecture, construction. Um, I do have a long history with ADUs. So I grew up in two homes with ADUs. My parents built them, rented them out to you know teachers and young professionals to help offset their mortgage. So I kind of grew up around that and was actually living in a 300 square foot studio ADU while starting cottage. Um, which is a, a pretty interesting experience. Um, that said, I think, you know, my professional background is largely in technology. I've worked in marketplace businesses, Uber, Uber Eats um, from early days. So was one of the early international launchers for Uber, 
got dropped into a number of countries around Europe and said, hey, go launch Uber here. Find the initial team, build the initial supply of drivers, find the initial demand of riders and kind of build that um, up. Uh, then kind of started, was one of the first people working on the Uber Eats business, uh, first person working on it in, in Europe. And, um, and kind of iterating on a couple models of that business, eventually finding the model that, that Uber Eats currently is today um, and building that out both in Europe and kind of um, from based on San Francisco at the HQ. Um, you know, I'd say all of that to say, I, I certainly have learned things about marketplaces like them as business models, but the real inspiration for Cottage came from solving a personal problem. Um, you know, my parents had been... Mm. Uh, you know, recently retired, trying to figure out how to afford age in place in one of the most expensive zip codes in America. And we decided the solution was like they have had with previous homes to build a mini ADU. They'd rent it out to a local grad student and be able to kind of stay near my now growing family. Um, and then we fell into every trap that a homeowner falls into uh, in taking on a project, right? So, um, you know, figuring out exactly what's possible with changing local regulation. Uh, designing, you know, a structure that's great, that matches the property, designing to a budget, to a style, navigating a long, you know, city permitting process, and then kind of finding and working with uh, the right general contractor. Um, at every step, it's it feels so broken. I think anyone who's taken on a residential construction project would agree. Um, we believe there had to be a better way, and that's what we're building with Cottage. So no, not many people know this, but I actually went through the exercises of doing exactly what you're just describing here. I uh, have a, had a rental property. Uh, we still have the rental property, but we were looking at it's it's the single family house and then this really big garage. So it's like I think the the, the the pad itself is 800 square feet. So I'm like, okay, so there's already a a, a loft in the back third of it, so we bedroom up there, and then you have the living space downstairs. Just my wife and I. I was like, we could make a pretty cool space out of this thing. And I went through and I have an air table and I actually just pulled it up into your chat in here, like of like all the projects that I detailed from when I called the township and went through. And <laughs> I just have, I have 40, I have 40 records entered in just from what I was able to detail from what the township told me, but it has nothing to do with the details of managing the contractors that would be involved in like the step-by-step -step and even what would probably have to be re-engineered because we'd have to cut through trusses. I imagine this has got to be like, this is what you guys do every single day. Is that the biggest hurdle that you have to overcome or is there even more yet? So just so I understand, what are the 40 records? Oh, yeah. Um, one additional, okay, well, yeah, let's get into it. Additional code compliant parking space. Confirm access is adequate to that. Confirm setbacks can be allowed. Confirm side back front yards are permissible. Confirm parking, oh, that's a duplicate. Confirm existing previous building permits allowed in single family or residential multifamily or urban village zoning. Um, uh, gotcha, see. so this is all, this is zoning. You haven't even gotten into building code. No, now I have to determine the architect, determine if we'll use GC or not, determine who the plumber is, drywaller, electrician, painter, window, insulation, carpet. Then I have confirm energy materials and standards needed because it's not insulated. It doesn't have any sure. water running to it. So there was just like, this is just like, 40 records of like projects and then each one of them is going to have who knows how many records. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I think what you're coming across is a lot of zoning and planning regulation. Um, what's cool about ADUs in a lot of the markets where we operate. And then I think what we're seeing across the country is a lot of 
both states and municipalities are streamlining the regulatory framework for building ADUs. They're basically looking at ADUs as the most feasible, uh, most kind of neighborhood friendly in a way, way of stimulating housing supply because the people who live there also get to benefit from it, extra space or extra income. And so with that, what we've seen, you know, first really in the Pacific Northwest, then in California, and now across probably roughly half of the either major municipalities or states around the country mm-hmm. is streamlining some of these regulatory frameworks. So for example, in California, across the entire state, there is no, they basically are objective criteria for ministerial permitting. So if you keep a four foot setback lower than 16 feet in height, although that's actually changing next year and going higher, um, you can build an ADU if you have the space for it. Um, and that really opens up a lot of opportunity. That's why uh, ADUs are, are very much exploding across um, these markets where you've done that. Yeah, yeah, I can understand that. I, I, I've seen a little bit in um, some of the trends of in some prefab. We've had uh, you know some discussions on the show in the prefab world, and I've gone down that path of in our current residential house of what if we just brought in a pre-built home and just sat it there? Is that easier? Is that more affordable? You know, I mean, even with the zoning, is that, you know, does that, does that simplify things? How do you guys look at prefab versus building on site? Yeah. So I think with prefab, you know, actually in kind of starting this business, I had originally thought this sounds way more scalable, replicable, all these things that people from technology backgrounds or VC investors say. Um, And then I think you get into the real details of construction. And to what we have found today is that um, as of today, that may change in the future, you're not saving any money, you're not saving much time at all, and you're giving up quite a bit in terms of quality and the ability to customize. And the reason for that is all of the nitty gritty of what's actually takes to deliver one of these ADUs. And I think that there's a lot of advertising here, which is, you know, the crane dropping the ADU in the backyard, and it looks like you just kind of, you know, drop it in and in a couple of days you're done. Alex, I've seen these videos on Facebook. It takes two days and one person and all by themselves. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, yeah, and it, uh, you see a lot of clickbait uh, with, with, with that message. I think in practice, what you'll, what you'll find is that you still need to go through the same permitting process, right? So you still need to navigate, um, you know, localizing consultant and engineering reports for your site. You need to take that through the city. It's a multi-month process in most places. Um, that is side by side, really the same for uh, a site-built ADU and kind of a prefabricated or modular ADU. Um, and then you get into kind of the nitty-gritty of the site. There's clearing the site. There's grading the site. There's digging for the foundation, connecting to utilities. These are really the gnarly parts of you know building an ADU. It's not the framing. It's not the finishing of the ADU once it's on site. So when we have looked at kind of the you know, theoretical either scale or cost benefits of producing, you know, maybe somewhere in central California and shipping it across um, and kind of delivering it in. Um, we found that a lot of the cost benefits you have by doing it kind of offsite in a production facility, you lose by spending, you know, thousands of dollars trucking across the state, renting a $15,000 crane for the day um, in order to be able to deliver that. And you're also just from a customer perspective, giving up quite a lot, again, in customization um, in, in quality. So to this day, um, you know, our approach is to basically supercharge the small to medium local general contractor that has been building ADUs for a number of years and does really high quality craftsmanship. Um, and 
so far so good in in terms of that approach. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think we are all believers and hopeful that uh, there can be breakthrough in the kind of the construction technology itself um, that would allow us to do more of this in the future. I have a good friend. Uh, I just spent uh, I spent a weekend with him in West Virginia. He was, uh, of all things, he was running a hundred miler race. Um, and so I went and stayed with him at his compound in West Virginia up in the mountains. He bought this, you know, it's off grid property. The last two years, he's a DIYer. So he built his own little container home. And, uh, he, I did make him, I was like, tell me, you gotta tell me what this cost to build this. Like I wanted to hear like, oh man, it was five grand in just a ton of hours. And I... He told me how much it cost, and I was like, you know, I, I don't know, man. I could have, I think you could have built that right here. And then the challenge of like finding a place, he had to build the pad, he had to set it down, and still had to get, you still had to run water. You know, he's all off grid, so it's like solar power and that sort of thing. And I kind of saw firsthand, I was like, I like the idea of the container home. It's cool. The fact, like, the idea of like, can we just drop it here and it's done? But the other challenge to it is like, it just wasn't done still. There's still so much left to do in that. Um, and I, I have a feeling that more and more will either learn that, see that. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously different scenarios call for different solutions. I want to move a little bit into, you kind of talk to a lot about process and operations. Backend, this has got to be like very operationally heavy, very detailed driven business. Are you guys building all that, solutioning in-house tailoring it so that you can be the best at these types of construction processes or there's some office shelf type softwares that you're including in with some proprietary you know uh, tools to be able to make that work better than anyone else yeah so this is actually kind of like our major product effort right now is building an in-house project orchestration platform so essentially you have uh you know, on the average ADU project, probably 75 to 100 steps and stages. You probably have a dozen plus stakeholders who need to interact with the project across multiple homeowners. Uh, you have multiple consultants and engineers, structural, Title 24, boundary, sometimes arborists, geotechnical, all these different kind of consultants, third parties, architects, architectural designers, and general contractors and kind of their team. So really what we are building is an in-house platform that helps connect the dots and pass the baton in an automated way between all these different stakeholders. And I think, you know, when we've looked at off the shelf tools that are, you know, project management platforms, oftentimes I think what they do really well is if you're trying to build Salesforce tower, you know, one project, super detailed, many different steps and stages and stakeholders that you can kind of invite to the platform. But if you're trying to do a number of, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of projects concurrently uh, with this kind of large and growing network of, of providers, that is where some of the existing tools seem to fall short. Um, and so, yeah, our approach is to, to build a lot of this in-house. Um, and yeah, we're really excited about the future there. Yeah, very cool. I think that's the kind of stuff that, you know, I, I'm, I appreciate you sharing that because I, I feel like on the surface looks very like a simple business, maybe traditional even contracting business with a website, you know, but there's clearly something different under the hood here. And that's, you, you kind of use the word supercharge. Uh, so that's where I would lean on that. Kind of keeping that in mind, maybe this is a, just a higher level phys philosophical question. When you describe cottage, 
do you call it an operations construction tech? What, like what's the word or two that you use to describe what cottage is and why do you lean that direction? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a little tricky because it depends on who we're speaking with. So if we are speaking with a homeowner, we're very much their one-stop shop. If we are speaking with a contractor, we are going to bring them a consistent volume of business and tools to make their business successful, right? We're kind of a business in a box for them for ADUs. And then if we're speaking kind of more theoretically, you know, venture investor or kind of within the tech sphere, then we describe ourselves as this, you know, marketplace platform. Um, so it kind of depends on what angle. If you look at our website, it's very much kind of consumer focused homeowner who's looking to take on an ADU project. And that, that seems to work for us uh, right now. Got it. Well, let's talk about that homeowner. So somehow they've heard about Cottage. A friend of them told them they saw a project in the, the neighborhood. Do you guys do those little yard signs where you put it in the front yard? Hey, this ADU is brought to you by Cottage. We do. We do. If you're driving around the Bay Perfect. Area, LA or San Diego, you might see something. There it is. All right. I'm driving around. I'm, I'm past the full house house, right? And then I look on my go a few houses down because if you look to your left it's a park well at least in the intro so anyway i see a sign cottage cool i call you up and say hey i, I want one of these i want one of these in the backyard how what's the steps like how what does the consumer do to actually practically get an adu what's that look like yep yeah so it starts with kind of vetting and, and feasibility um so if you think about you know this is a matching up of homeowners goals so we're we want to do this ADU for rental income, or we want to do this ADU for extra space for family, elderly parents, that sort of thing. So matching up their goals, their budget, and then kind of some site feasibility. So this is looking at things like, are they in hazard zones? What is the slope of the property? How much space do we have to work with? Are there any kind of obstructions or site conditions that we should be aware of to try to give them a sense of what's possible and what it's going to cost them. So we really feel very strongly that the craziest thing about, you know, residential construction is that you don't actually know what you're going to pay until you're already, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in, um, into it. And that is just kind of unlike any other industry, what we want to change that. So we spent a lot of time on kind of the feasibility and vetting of the project to be able to provide something of a within bands cost estimate upfront before a homeowner makes a commitment. Then we take you through an architectural design process. Oftentimes, most homeowners are actually starting with templatized design. So kind of 3D ADU models that are customized to fit the site, the goals, the budget, the style of the homeowner. And so that's a process directly between a homeowner and a designer within our network, where they are kind of manipulating that model and um, kind of honing into what exactly what they want. Then we would take you through kind of this finish selections process. So we provide you a web interface where you can kind of click around and see different finish selections impact on cost um, uh, for, you know, those sorts of selections. So obviously, you know, a, um, you know, marble countertops are going to cost you more than solid surface, big kind of, you know, a nano wall is going to cost you more than a traditional French door. Um, and then, so then we introduce you to a qualified builder from our network. The builder provides a cost estimate for the project. We enter in and, and take the project through permitting. Um, when we have the permits uh, you know, on, on hand, 
we hand over to the general contractor. This is a better general contractor within our network, and we support the general contractor in the background during that construction phase. So we're answering RFIs, we're helping them on interpretation of the plans, um, but we are not the general contractor, we're not swinging the hammer, we're not on site every day. Very cool. Yeah. Thank you for taking me through that process. Kind of a continuing down the path of consumers though, what are you doing to other than signs in the yards to get in front of consumers who are both ready and able to build an ADU? Yeah. So, you know, when you're new in a market, you don't have like a word of mouth or referral base. Um, and so, you know, we stand up a market on honestly, like with the digital ads that you would see if you were kind of clicking around or searching around um, in this area. Um, if you kind of look, you know, at his traditional industry historically, how have people found the teams that they build projects with? So architects and general contractors. Traditionally, it's kind of a couple of things. You ask your real estate agent, you ask your friends, you ask your neighbors. So a little bit of just kind of word of mouth and referrals. Um, and then some people start with kind of an online search, whether that is on Google, or whether that is on some of the kind of uh, ratings platforms that have, um, have have built up. So we take this into consideration with our kind of go-to-market of, of um, both, you know, when we're new in a market, kind of trying to go outbound and, and reach you, but also once we're established in a market, yes, you'll, you might drive by a cottage ADU sign and kind of get interested and then, and then reach out to us, or just building a referral network um, with homeowners that are happy with our product and service and um and or or telling their friends about it yeah very cool and then um curious i mean you 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 outlined a few use cases for adus right can be supplemental income extended family you could use it for when friends are visiting maybe there's a short-term rental opportunity here but in your experience from your customer base like what are you hearing is like hey these are the one and two reasons we're hearing most commonly people cite that this is something they want to pursue yeah, so I entered into this business thinking that it was all going to be about rental income because that's what my family had done with their ADUs previously. Um, uh, I think what we found actually is that there's a slight, uh, higher, slightly higher majority of homeowners that we're working with that are doing this for their own kind of personal extra space use cases. Um, so certainly I'd say probably 40% have a plan to rent out the ADU. Um, and then I think the other 60 is multi-generational family, you know, elderly parents, adult children. We see um, homeowners move into the ADU and rent out the main house. It's a really flexible way of both providing you extra space or extra income. Um, you know, this is not, uh, we don't talk about this often, but we have a number of projects that are divorce based. So one member of the couple is moving into the ADU, one is going to stay in the main home. Um, so we see the, all these different use cases. It's pretty interesting how flexible ADUs can be. Interesting. I I would not have guessed that last case. I would imagine at least move across the street, but I mean, I suppose if... Well, with the cost of housing as it is in you know markets where we operate, mm -hmm, with mm -hmm. the implications of kind of selling the home and property taxes and, and all of that, uh, it, it is a little bit more complicated and homeowners have used ADUs in a flexible way in that way as well. Yeah, very cool. So let's talk about paying for this. You know, I, I don't know. Every time I see a study, it's like Americans have 500 bucks in our savings account. I'm pretty sure it's more than that, right? But also fairly certain that we're still sitting in a position with Americans' record equity in properties as a potential financing tool. 
So I'm assuming there's probably some mix of that in there, but maybe you can walk me through how do people pay for these projects? Sure. So the vast majority of homeowners are financing these ADUs. Um, up until I'd say probably April when started the interest rates started climbing up, um, most of these were mm. cash out refis. So homeowner who's been sitting on a property in areas we operate, there's been a lot of home appreciation, they've been building a lot of equity, taking out a larger you know, mortgage and taking that cash difference in order to finance the ADU. Um, more recently with the rates rising, we've seen a lot of HELOCs um, in, in construction loans mm. as well. Um, so vast majority are, are financed um, in order to, to build the ADU. Do you get in, like, do you have any um, place in that process or is it like a traditional real estate transaction? It's like, we'll come back when you have some sort of like letter from a bank saying we're good to go. Yeah. So today it's been pretty arm's length and we facilitate introductions to lenders who get ADUs and might provide you some favorable terms there. Um, I think, you know, we've always been interested in a future where we could offer you alongside kind of like a, you know, digital buying experience, a one-click financing option there as well. I think that would increase conversion tremendously and be very interesting to us. Um, we haven't pursued it too deeply uh, yet at this point. Got it. Yeah. I, I imagine, see, that's the thing I was like, well, you have to find a banker then that gets the project, understands it, you know, and they have some level of appetite for the risk here. Cause this is not a, a loan that would get sold on the secondary as, as I would I would guess, unless you did a full refi of the whole property. Yeah, it, it, the, Fannie and Freddie are starting to, I think, get a little bit more deep on ADUs and starting to change some of the, um, uh, some of their requirements and some of their thinking around ADUs. Mm -hmm. But yes, I, I'd say, largely speaking, it has taken a number of years uh, with really accelerating ADU growth for for this to happen. Um, I will say one thing that is really interesting from a financing perspective is ADUs are the only investment in your property that will both create additional equity value and can create an income stream. So I would think that banks would be thinking about this very differently, right? Um, if by investing a couple hundred thousand dollars, you're creating three or four thousand dollars in terms of rental income, um, that is a really attractive proposition. I would think makes uh, you a less risky borrower than a more risky borrower. Um, but it's going to take some time in terms of kind of uh, appraisal values, larger data set in order for banks to probably get more comfortable with that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and that obviously makes a lot of sense here. I mean, I know we're so far and outside of what we know is normal real estate. Uh, and we have been for some time, which begs the question is what is normal? <laughs> what, what will be the normal if you will? Um, but I think I mean, you're, you're not wrong, right? For the average person, they can do projects in their home that could generate equity, or they could leave the home and generate rental income. But you don't know, you don't normally get both those opportunities at the same time. And I think that the timing, as you mentioned, some of the legislations in different states that have been opening up that allow for this. I think Oregon is, uh, pretty friendly to this as well too, right? Because they got rid of the multifamily zoning. And so then ADU or, you know, maybe converting to duplex as possible anywhere within single family zoning. Yep, that's correct. The whole West Coast is super wide open when it comes to ADUs. Yeah, well, that I mean, that's great. And as more that catches on, obviously that, that seems to signal a, a significant oncoming tailwind 
to the business that you guys are producing here. I think you guys are only in a few markets here. Can you talk to me about the market selection? Why and if it's purely legislative or because of where you guys just happen to be based? Sure. Yeah. So it, we started off in the Bay Area because that's where um, I'm from, and that's where the original cottage ADU at my parents uh, is 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 uh, is located. Um, then I'd say in uh, towards the end of 2021, we expanded into Los Angeles. We just kind of announced our presence there. We have a number of projects that are under construction. Really excited about the market, which just from like a permits perspective is the biggest market in, in the United States. Um, and then more recently have kind of started dipping our toes into the San Diego market um, and uh, are really excited about what we see there as well. Um, California obviously is, I believe there will be multiple billion dollar ADU businesses built just in the state of California. Um, but there is a tremendous amount of opportunity that is outside of California as well. As you mentioned, the Pacific Northwest is actually the most forward when it comes to ADU reg uh, regulations. Um, so Portland, Seattle market is very, very exciting number of players operating there. Um, and then I think as we look across the country, as I said, we see around half of the either states or largest municipalities putting forward EDU bills that would make it not possible, but easier for us to be able to kind of launch in, in these markets. So we are very excited about a national expansion over the next number of years with ADUs. And then I'd say um, going back to the flexibility of our business model, we do intend to be able to take on projects that are non-ADUs. And then you start to look like a business that can be in you know, major sports markets over the next handful of years. And, um, and when you look at the size of residential construction home improvement across the United States, it's roughly $500 billion. It's a mega pillar of the U.S. economy. And, uh, and that signals for us, there's a lot of room to grow. Very cool. Love the vision here. Um, I don't want to poke at anything here, but... A lot of times in, in, in pretty much every business I've ever talked to any founder about, they had some presumptions about how things might go, an idea, a strategy, turns out to be wrong. Can you share one of those? I would say, you know, the biggest mistakes we have made so far, um, I would say some of the earliest customers that we chose who were willing to take a bet on a, you know, super young company that hadn't, you know, built any ADUs yet um, and kind of over promising in terms of what we could offer specifically when it comes to the level of customization. Um, so I think we have learned that there very much is a fantastic place for a custom architect that will bill you a couple hundred dollars an hour, do endless iterations with you on that design and may design something and say yes to a lot of things or once it's priced, you actually won't go ahead and build it. Um, our model, and in order to be able to kind of operate at scale, we do need to have a more structured design process. Um, and so we generally find ourselves working with homeowners that have a real reason to build the ADU and want it done in a pretty reasonable time horizon um, and want to have a streamlined way of getting there versus someone that's just taking this on as kind of a creative project and may or may not go on and actually build the thing. Um, so I would say that is one where we could, if we could go back, we would um, have, have said no to more customers in the earliest days. But um, I think to be, to be fair to the team, we were hungry to get data points to learn and, um, and that enabled us to do so. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you have to just ship it. <laughs> 
Um, I know we're uh, coming towards the end of or to the bottom uh, side of the show here, but I wanted to just kind of like kind of kind of zoom back out just for a little bit. It seems obvious, but I'd love to hear your take. Why is now? Why is now the time for Cottage to be built, to be working on this, and for you to be specifically working on this? Sure. Yeah, I think there are a couple kind of uh, converging factors in terms of the timeline. One of them, obviously, is the regulatory. So before 2018, before 2019, some of these uh, regulatory changes being put into effect, it would have been hard to see as much of the market potential for ADUs as you have today. Um, as we've discussed, I think that is changing. Um, and uh, ADUs are a really interesting wedge into a larger residential construction market for us. I'd say the other one, which is quite interesting to us, is COVID, which we obviously like launched our business into, has accelerated an adoption of more digital tools for both kind of older homeowners who you know, are disproportionately the homeowners that we work with and general contractors who traditionally may have been a little bit more resistant to adopting technology. So everyone has been on Zoom to, you know, speak with their family and other places during the pandemic. Um, more and more adoption of these technologies make it easier for us to stitch together a digital platform for the residential construction experience. Alex, we're going to shift into segment I like to call for the future for the future is where I get to ask each guest who comes on the show to give their best predictions based on the following four questions. Are you ready to play? I'm ready to play. All right, let's do it. Number one, what does cottage look like one year from now? One year from now, um, I would like us to be at a platform level, one of the top 100 builders in the markets where we operate. So in terms of like housing units delivered, I want us to break through the top 100 across the West Coast. Awesome. Number two, over the next few years, so give or take a few, however you define a few, what will be the single most significant driver to increase adoption of ADUs? I would say for sure regulatory change is what's going to enable more and more markets to embrace something that really is working in California and the West Coast and a few you know, smattering of other markets around the US. Number three, what's one industry trend you think will continue but you wish would go away? Rising interest rates. <laughs> I mean, what goes up must come down, right? Isn't that what we were all taught in school? I'm, I'm sure it will. For what it's worth, I, I I don't think it's gonna be can't be going for too far, too long. We all we've all five. I feel like five is gonna feel like a decent spot, and I think generally that that that's probably not terrible. But boy, would I like another op- few opportunities at a three and sub three again. Sure thing. Yeah, let's bring back the good times. <laughs> yeah, I remember refinancing back in 2016, and I locked in a just barely above three and i thought man i'm never going to get that chance again and then well we did so but uh maybe not ever get that chance again (laughs) so all right uh and last one here on for the future what's one thing you believe will dramatically change or fade away in real estate as a result of tech advances i would say that something that has been a real surprise to me coming from outside industry is the fact that at every part of the architectural design process. You take ideas and preferences and you put them oftentimes into a 3D model and then you flatten it into a PDF. 
Um, so I think that the actually keeping structured data on every aspect of a residential construction project, the preferences, the model, that sort of thing, and surfacing that data to all the stakeholders who use it is going to be something that we see breakthrough over the next few years. Um, and so Acrobat and PDFs being a thing of the past. So, you, so maybe we just 3D print it? Instead of a instead of a handing you the PDF, hey, or emailing you PDF, come pick up your your three D print at home. Here's the here's the blueprint. That'd be kind of cool, honestly. Could happen. It could happen. It's a little inefficient currently, but it could happen. Yeah, I'm all for it. I I like the idea of also um, all of our phones being able to generate holograms, and uh, just setting your phone onto a stand. And then uh, all of our engineering files being holographic that we can just project onto the wall or project onto our, our table in front of us. And then looking at it from that perspective. Yeah, very cool. We'll get there. All right, last one, our uh, last three here, Alex. Um, these are questions more about you. So our listeners get to know you a little bit better. First one is, what are you reading? Right now, I am reading a book called The Goal. And because I'm reading it on Kindle, I can't even tell you who it's written by. Um, but it is a case study around manufacturing and process improvement um, that is uh, pretty interesting and helps put into perspective um, how you would drive improvements in a process uh, that touches real-world products. Is this uh, Elia Goldraft and yes, Jeff Cox? Him. Yes. The, the goal, a process of ongoing improvement. 30th anniversary. I've never heard of this book. Six million sold. I now feel like I have not been paying attention. Yeah. And then my my uh, my novel recommendation uh, is A Gentleman in Moscow. I've heard of that one. Fantastic. Beautiful novel. Everyone should read it. All right. Number two, who are you learning from? Oof. Everyone on our team. Um, our team, our investors, honestly, uh, a lot of learning by doing as well. All right, last one here. What inspires you? I would say the challenge is one of the big things for me. Um, you know, we're intentionally taking a pretty big swing in an industry that has been hard to change. A lot of things can go wrong during construction project. Um, so I do get a lot of excitement and inspiration by the idea of making that change and making that better and dealing with those challenges. Love that. Alex, it's been great. I appreciate you breaking down all the details on ADUs, what you guys are creating here, the supercharging contractors and having a, a even bigger vision than you know just kind of just plopping down a little shed in the backyard, but really how you can innovate and create new ways for us to to live when it comes to you know physical dwellings and real estate. Before we go and close out, for those who want to get connected to you or learn more about Cottage, where do they go and how do they do that? Um, Cottage, our website would be C-O-T-T-A dot G-E. Um, and I guess for uh, reaching out to me, it would be probably Twitter, which would be at Alex Charnetsky. And I'll put the, the link. Uh, you can find it on TechNest. You can go into the, the show notes to find a link to Alex's Twitter handle. I'm glad that you're on Twitter. Somehow, please, let's get all the other PropTech CEOs on Twitter. There's just There's just too much good stuff happening there. Um, but I'm glad you're you're leading the charge by example. Uh, but I'll, I'll see. Uh, I'll I guess I'll see you on Twitter. And unless you're in South Dakota, you want to swing through the neighborhood and let me know when you're in the area. Likewise, if you find yourself coming <laughs> through through San Francisco, you bet. All right, we'll see you. 
Well, thanks for listening to the Tech Nest Podcast. You can always get future episodes delivered to you directly by subscribing to the podcast in your favorite app store. You can also join the newsletter. Head over to technest.io or finledger.com slash newsletters to get all future episodes, updates, and more sent to you right in your inbox. Last but not least, we appreciate your support. Please go ahead and give us a rating and review in your app store. This helps others discover the podcast and know that it's a great, worthy listen. We'll see you next week.